Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. Enjoy the message. We are in Matthew chapter 7. We're in verse 15 where uh, if you were here last week, you're probably like, didn't we do verse 15 last week? Verses 15 to 20. And the answer is yes. We're actually going back over the exact same material that we did in our last time together in part two of a message that is entitled False Teachers and Prophets. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for, Lord, the surety of your word. And Father, even just watching that video, or the first moment or so, sitting there with just this sense of despair and dread. And then, Lord, the word hope. Lord, appears on the screen and reminds us of the hope that we have in Jesus the Christ. And Lord, our heart begins to stir and it begins to rise and it begins to swell. And Lord, again and again throughout the history of this world, Lord, Lord, you have shown yourself into the midst of very dark times when people were once again drawn to you And Lord, made alive by the Spirit. And Father, we live in those days once again. Lord, in great numbers around the world. Lord, people are, uh, Lord, abandoning even a semblance of knowledge of who you are. And Lord, going in their own direction. And Father, we're seeing the repercussions of that. And so, Father, we do pray for an awakening in our hearts, Lord, for that hope, Lord, to stir within us. Lord, we do pray for a revival. Lord, God, throughout this land, that many might come to know you and be drawn to you. And Lord, that you would use us, Lord, as a part of that process. Lord, just, I pray the joy of our salvation would be present within our hearts this morning. And Father, we ask that our time together would be fruitful, Lord, that you would bless it, that you'd teach us, you'd challenge us, Lord, Lord, you'd open up our eyes perhaps to some things. Father, I pray for your spirit to be present and ministering amongst us. Father, I pray that when we, uh, perhaps we, we come up against something that we're not comfortable receiving, Lord, that your spirit would minister truth to our hearts and make us willing to receive. So, Lord, we ask for you to bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said, we are in... There's something in my eye. It was a piece of dust. Just kidding. It was that video. It got me. Did it get you? That video got me. Well, let me read through the passage we looked at last week. Verse 15 says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered by thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. The Apostle John, he wrote this. He said, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits 
to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. It is your responsibility as a Christian to examine every teaching that comes from every teacher in light of the Scripture. The Apostle Paul, he inferred this. He said that we are to be Bereans searching the Scripture to see if these things we are being taught were so. And this morning, I intend to show you that many of the things that are being taught in our world and within the church, quote-unquote, are not so. And in doing so, I'm going to be naming some names here today. Now there are those, there are some that suggest it's wrong to speak out against false teachers or to warn Christians not to follow particular teachers by name or because of their teachings. I don't think so. The Apostle Paul didn't think so either. Instructing Timothy, the Apostle Paul, he said this. He said, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. If you point these things out, Paul said, to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Notice two things in that passage that I looked at there. First, Timothy is exhorted, he's the pastor, if you will, of this city. Timothy is exhorted to point out the false teaching. It says there halfway through that passage. And then secondly, he's told that if he does point these things out, that he is actually a good minister of Christ Jesus. It is the job of an elder or a leader to point out false teachings. Notice one more thing. Not only does Paul encourage Timothy to point out false teaching, but he also mentions false teachers by name. Paul told Timothy in the first chapter of his first letter, he said, after he goes on, he talks about these false prophets. He says, some have rejected these and have shipwrecked the faith. And among them, he names Hymenaeus and Alexander. In his second letter, Paul names two additional, well, one additional person. Again, he names Hymenaeus, and he also mentions a fellow by the name of Philetus, who he says has wandered away from the truth. Now, we know this. We know, we learned this a couple of weeks back, that we have no ability to judge another person's heart or their motives. But we can and we must judge their teaching and the fruit of their ministry. And so again, the Apostle Paul says, do not, excuse me, John says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. It is our responsibility to examine, I said it before, every teaching that comes from every teacher in light of the Scripture. And again, as Paul inferred, we are to be Bereans, searching the Scripture to see if these things are so. And so with that in mind, I'd like to draw your attention to a few popular voices of our day that give me concern. And again, I don't know these people. I don't know what's going on in their hearts. I couldn't tell you if they're purposefully trying to deceive people or if they themselves are deceived and they're just sharing what they believe to be true. But what I can tell you is this, is that aspects of their teaching is unbiblical. Not every issue, not every time they open up their mouth, but enough times which demonstrate that they have not merely misspoken once or twice, but that they actually hold to these things. Now, I gave you six ways that you can tell a false teacher last week. I'll run through them quickly, especially if you weren't here. It'll help you. Six ways that you can pay 
careful attention for the false prophets that, as Peter said, will arise among you. Number one is if they predict the future and say that God gave them a prediction of the future, does it come to pass exactly as, exactly as they say? Number two, does what they say line up with God's word? Because as we know, God will never contradict his word. Number three, does it produce good fruit in them and in their listeners? Number four, is that person or that ministry a true servant? And I asked the question, who is serving whom in that ministry? Number five, are they drawing listeners to themselves or are they drawing listeners to Jesus? And then finally, and perhaps most importantly, is the ministry presenting Jesus as the only way to salvation? Or rather, is he one perhaps of many ways? Well, we know this. We know that false teachers and teachings are going to come from a myriad of different places. You and I need to be on our guard from the messages that we hear and take in, both by those that name the name of Christ and those that do not. We need to be careful and consider and weigh the words of both those that are spiritual, quote-unquote, and those that are secular. For example, the message of the world system that you need to be on your guard against, both spoken and unspoken in our day, essentially says this, live for today, life's all about you, Learning to love yourself. Remember Whitney Houston? Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all, she said. Well, those messages are messages you need to be on your guard against. Those are ideas that run contrary to the Word of God. And they are preached into your life 24-7 by a world system that stands opposed to God. So whether you're at school or at work, or you're hanging out with your family, or you're watching TV, or you're listening to a pop culture song, you need and we need to pay careful attention to the messages that we ingest and how we respond to those messages. We need to pay careful attention to what we hear day in and day out, the world system. Now a second area that we have to be on our guard against, particularly in this age of diversification, are the various world religions that are out there that you're increasingly having more and more contact with, no doubt. Religions like Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and the like. People you know may be followers of these religions. In fact, increasingly, we are moving as a society toward ecumenism, in which essentially we're told that all religions are one and that they ultimately all end up in the same path. We're told that there are many paths to get to the top of the mountain, not according to the Scripture. The Scripture says this, there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The Scripture says there's salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved. That's completely opposite from the message that we're hearing in our day. And so in a world where we are increasingly coming to, into contact with men and women of different faith persuasions, you and I need to be on our guard to discern how that message lines up with the Word of God. A third area that has become increasingly popular in our day is so-called non-religious spiritual persons. Someone will say, well, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, they will say. Many that embrace the New Age movement fit into this category. Oprah Winfrey, who has been referred to as one of the most influential spiritual leaders fits this bill. USA Today has called Oprah Winfrey a spiritual leader 
for the new millennium, a moral voice of authority for the nation. Now, Oprah Winfrey openly claims to be a Christian. She regularly appears in the congregation of churches like Joel Osteen and T.D. Jakes. She identifies as herself as a Christian, but her statements about God, about faith, about salvation, about heaven, about hell, they all directly contradict what the Bible teaches. Winfrey has publicly praised the writings of a fellow by the name of Eric Butterworth. And she called his book, which is entitled Discover the Power Within You, one of the most important books she has ever read. In that book, Butterworth says this. He says, Jesus did not come to teach us how divine he was, but to teach that divinity was within each of us. That's not what the Bible says. So though she claims to be a Christian, the key spiritual influences in her life are anything but. Winfrey, she's the founder and chief executive of the Oprah Winfrey Network. It's called the OWN Network, which has an entire section of the network dedicated to your soul or the soul. And on her website, there's a section, a menu at the top, called Super Soul Sunday. And it features videotaped conversations with folks like this, spiritual guru Eckhart Tolle, who authored the book A New Earth, Awakening to Your Life's Purpose, in which he answers the question of what really happens to us when we die. This website, this particular section of the website, it features a conversation with New Age guru Shirley MacLaine. It features a conversation with world-renowned spiritual master, that's how he's described, Panash Desai, or Desai. It also has a conversation with Hindu, Buddhist, spiritualist, he's not sure really where he fits, but he kind of takes a little bit of all of these, Deepak Chopra, who instructs his readers in his book, The Book of Secrets, that if you obsess over whether you are making the right decision, you're basically assuming that the universe will reward you for one thing and punish you for another. Then he goes on, he says, the universe has no fixed agenda. Once you make any decision, it works around that decision. There's no right or wrong, only a series of possibilities that shift with each thought, each feeling, each action that you experience. That's not biblical, and I hope you're aware of that. Chopra also teaches his devotees, he says, you will be transformed by what you read, and I agree. And I'd advise you not to go anywhere near Chopra stuff or anyone else on Oprah's Soul Sunday channel. There's another individual that I want to draw your attention to. Her name is Rhonda Byrne. We have a picture of her. Perhaps you've seen her. She's the author of the best-known book and movie or film that was called The Secret. She's also written books called The Power, The Magic, and Hero. Time Magazine recognized this woman as one of the world's most influential people in their Time 100 series. And as the title of her best-known work implies, Byrne has come to discover, and she lives according to, what she refers to as the secret. It's a secret is a law and the principle, or the law and the principle of the universe. Now she labels this law or principle the law of attraction. The most powerful law in the universe, she calls it. And according to the secret, she says this, your thoughts are responsible for everything that happens to you. The law of attraction is the law of creation. You create your life 
through your thoughts. She continues, nothing can come into your experience unless you summon it through your persistent thoughts. Here's another one. Again, Oprah Winfrey refers to her book as life-changing. Burns says, you are the master of the universe and the genie is there to serve you. And I find it interesting that Byrne uses a capital letter when referring to her readers as the master of the universe. Typically, we capitalize God. She says, you are the master of the universe. So like Eckhart Tolle, Deepak Chopra, Eric Butterworth, I would suggest to you that the teachings of Rhonda Byrne should be avoided. Now, I bring up these non-religious teachers, particularly Byrne, because of the influence of their teaching on many in the so-called Christian church. And so that brings us to the last set of teachers that I would suggest to you it would be wise for you to be on your guard against. So again, there's the general world system. There's world religions and pseudo-Christian cults. And there are so-called spiritual non-religious teachers. But the last set of teachers are those within the Christian church movement. And it's these teachers that I want to take the rest of our time today to consider. Now, as I said, we have no way of knowing the motivations of these teachers. There's no way for me to know if they're sincere men and women that are deceived themselves or if they are deceivers looking to take advantage of God's flock. And again, we do not know another man's heart, but as we said, we can look at their fruit and we can evaluate their teaching. Now, my study today is not to point out every single error that every single teacher has ever said. It would be impossible for us to point out every false thing, every false teacher, everywhere has ever uttered. Your best defense anyway is not memorizing every false statement so you can be on the lookout for those statements. Rather, your best defense is to become so familiar with the truth that the counterfeit will stand out to you immediately. It's the same technique a bank will use when it trains its tellers. A bank teller becomes instantly aware of a fake, not by studying the many different counterfeit attempts, but instead by becoming an expert in the authentic. And what I would like to do today is draw out some of the more well-known teachers and some of the more well-known teachings. These are teachings and teachers you are likely familiar with. They're best-selling authors. They're sought-after speakers. They're prominent organizations. And some of these more popular teachers in our day are these folks. Benny Hinn, Frederick Price, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland, T.D. Jakes, Joel Osteen, Joyce Meyer, Joseph Prince, Creflo Dollar, Rod Parsley, Robert Tilton, Paul and Jan Crouch. And the leading purveyor of so much of these teachers is the Trinity Broadcast Network. There are three common themes that you can find running through each of these teachers' teachings that pertain to three topics. Now, there's plenty of other things we could dig into, but these three topics in particular, health, wealth, and faith. Let's look at the first of these, which is health. The common thread of these teachers' teaching pertaining to the topic of health is that sin and sickness are a part of the curse and have no place in the life of the Christian. And the common verse that they will quote, or should I say misquote, is the messianic prophecy of Isaiah chapter 53, 
which says, and with his stripes we are healed. That is, with Christ's death on the cross, his stripes, the whip, we are healed. So as such, the faith teacher, as this movement is called, it's called the faith movement, it will insist that the death of Christ secured for all of, us, all of God's children perfect health here on the earth for you and for those, your loved ones. Now, if you go back and you look at that verse that I just shared with you, the full verse, in context, it makes it abundantly clear that this verse is speaking of our being healed from our iniquity and our sin, not our physical infirmities. This is the verse. It says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. What kind of peace? Peace that was not there with the iniquities and the transgressions. And then it says, and with his stripes we are healed. The clear context is not physical healing. God heals. God can heal. But to make the statement that God will always heal is wrong. The Apostle Peter, he gives commentary on this prophecy. And he says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his stripes we are healed. Peter interpreted it to mean by, uh, that our sin and the judgment and separation that comes as a result. Does God heal? Yes, He does. Do we pray for healing? We certainly do. Does that mean that no follower of Christ is ever going to get sick or experience calamity? Certainly not. Paul the Apostle dealt with infirmity. Timothy dealt with infirmity. Job in the Old Testament is presented to us as the model of righteousness, and yet he experienced calamity second to none. And despite all all of those verses and all of those examples, the faith teacher will tell us this. As Benny Hinn said, God's greatest desire for the church of Jesus Christ is that we be in total and perfect health. God's greatest desire for the church is that we be in perfect and total health. Hinn states the idea even further, more forcefully. He says this, sickness does not belong to you. The Bible declares if the Word of God is in our life, life there will be health and there will be healing divine health and divine healing there will be no sickness for the saint of god frederick price he announces this he said we don't allow sickness in our home now we know that believers get sick believers just as unbelievers develop various diseases and infirmities believers suffer from unexpected calamities the same as unbeliever but according to faith teacher kenneth copeland that's not the will of God. Copeland says this, God intends for every believer to live completely free from sickness and disease. It's up to you to decide whether or not you will. You catch that? It's up to you to decide whether or not you will get sick. The faith teacher will tell you that God has ordained things that the believer never has to experience difficulty or disease. And then if or when you do, they'll then tell you that the onus is on you. They'll say that you're the cause of your sickness and disease. That if you had the right kind of faith, that you would not have to suffer through infirmity or calamity. Notice what they do with Job, the Old Testament fellow that I referenced. Again, the Old Testament makes it very clear that though righteous, Job, he suffered through calamity and sickness. Copeland says this. He says, when are we going to all wake up and learn God didn't allow the devil to get on Job. Job allowed the devil to get on Job. Joyce Meyer, she places the blame 
for Job's difficulties squarely on his back. And she says this. She said, fear is a terrible emotion. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Job had fears concerning his children and finally reached a place in his life where he saw his fears coming to pass. The Bible says it will be unto us as we believe, she says. That principle works in the negative as well as in the positive. We can receive by fear as well as by faith. If you've read the book of Job, who was the cause of all those problems that he encountered? Job was the cause of all those problems that he encountered, according to Joyce Meyer. According to Meyer and others, it was Job's negative confession that brought about a self-fulfilling prophecy of difficulty and calamity in his life. Job's problem, including the loss of the life of his ten children, could all be traced back to his harmful emotions, his destructive fears, and his negative confession. Imagine you're a minister going into a hospital where someone has just lost their ten children and telling them it's your fault your ten kids have died because of your negative thoughts, your negative emotions, your negative confessions. That's what she does. That's what these faith teachers do. If only Job had a bit more faith. Perhaps from time to time, you feel like this understanding of Job that the faith teachers present. That you feel like, you know, I'm in need of a bit more faith. Feeling as if you lack the faith to possess all that God wants for you. According then to the faith teachers, that's okay too. So you don't have enough faith. Well, that's okay. Because when your faith is weak, you can rely on their faith for strength. And all you need to do is send your request to them with a healthy, they'll call it faith gift, as a demonstration of the little bit of faith that you do have. Now that gift is commonly referred to as a seed. And it is through that seed which the fruit of your faith can grow. I think plenty has been said, even in the secular news expose programs, about the abundance of abuses that have occurred as a result of this doctrine of sending in your seed. It does, though, lead us to the second of three common themes that run through the Word of Faith teachers' teachings, and that's related to the topic of wealth. So turn to your neighbor and say, health and wealth. So the second one is wealth. According to the faith teacher, just as God's desire is for all of his children to experience perfect health, so too is it his desire for his children to experience perfect wealth. Now I said earlier, I don't know these guys' heart or whatever. I believe I know this guy's heart. This is Robert Tilton. Robert Tilton has been exposed again and again and again for the fraud that he is. He's a charlatan who has figured out the way to get people to send money to him so he can live well. Robert, uh, Robert Tilton, he had the audacity to declare this. He said, being poor is a sin. Faith, you sinners, many of you. Faith teacher Rod Parsley, he teaches his followers to claim that I, had a, I heard a word from the man of God, that's him, and when I obey that word, it unleashes that anointing in my life and I'm on my way to houses I didn't build full of good things that I did not have to buy. It's been suggested that this movement has taken the gospel of grace and turned it into the gospel of greed. Secular sociologist Quentin Schultz said this, the faith of some televangelist is more American than Christian, more popular than historic, more personal than collective, and more experiential 
than biblical. As a result, the faith they preach is highly affluent, selfish, and individualistic. Creflo Dollar, you may have heard that name recently in the news. This summer, uh, there was sort of a stink about a $65 million jet he was raising money to purchase for himself. He said this, he said, don't let them tell you you can't have a brand new, uh, a brand new car because if Jesus rode in on a donkey that no man had ever sat on, then you and I can ride in on an automobile that no man has ever sat in. How's that for hermeneutics? Jesse DePlantis. Jesse DePlantis has an interesting twist on Jesus' declaration that he would leave us the comforter. Now remember, the comforter is the Holy Spirit. He said this. He said, the Lord, I give him glory, is my comforter. And if he is my comforter, then I live in comfort. That's not only spiritual, that's physically too. Because when you've got stuff, it brings you comfort. Another teacher growing in popularity here in the United States is Joseph Prince. Joseph Prince writes in his book entitled Destined to Reign, the subtitle is The Secret to Effortless Success, Wholeness, and Victorious Living. There's no secret to effortless success. That's the subtitle of his book, though. He says this, he says, You are destined to reign in life. You are called by the Lord to be a success, to enjoy wealth, to enjoy health, and to enjoy a life of victory. It's not the Lord's desire that you live a life of defeat, of poverty, and of failure. Later on in that same book, he says, you are destined to reign in life. I think I just quoted that. Um, so never mind. We'll read it again. You're called by the Lord to be a success, to enjoy wealth, enjoy health, and enjoy a life of victory. Quoting the dollar, Creflo Dollar, he says, what better way to evangelize? Can you believe this? Where's Kevin? You're our evangelism teacher. What better way to evangelize than to be rich? According to Creflo Dollar, he said, there's a world of people out there that don't know you're Jesus. But when they start seeing you with their stuff, they're going to want to know how you got it, and they'll want you to introduce them to Jesus. Now the formula to attain these riches, it can be summed up in a couple of oft-repeated mantras. Name it and claim it, or have a need, plant a seed. And that is that through your faith, you have the ability to speak these things into your life. Now, they will warn you that you need to be careful because there is power in your words. And not only do you have the ability to positively speak things into your life, but so too do you have the ability to speak negativity into your life as well. If, however, your faith is not strong enough, the good news is that you can rely, as I said, on the faith of the man of God by sending in your seed. Robert Tilton uses the phrase, seed out of your need. Juanita Bynum, she says this, empty out your checkbook. She says, in order to get something you ain't never had, you got to do something that you don't never do. God is saying that he wants you to sow that $100,000 seed. Give some to get even more, as T.D. Jakes clearly implies in this quote. He says, there are certain truths that transcend all principles. It would be ridiculous for me to pray that God would give it back to you, that is, if you give, you know, he'd give that right back to you, because if all he was going to do was to give it back to you, then you might as well just keep it yourself. That's ridiculous, he says. If you got $100 
or $1,000 and you were going to get $1,000, I'll tell you what, you just broke even. You could have kept $1,000 and not gone through the trouble. The clear implication that T.D. Jakes is making is that our giving is a financial investment. Unless God is, were to guarantee a greater return on your investment, then you might as well not even bother giving at all in the first place. That principle is referred to by faith teachers as the principle of the hundredfold. It comes from their understanding of Mark chapter 10, verses 29 to 30. That reads this way. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or land for my sake who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions in the age to come eternal life. And so this principle of the hundredfold, I think it's best summarized in Gloria Copeland's book, God's Will is Prosperity. She says this, give $10 and receive 1000 Give $1,000 and receive 100000 I know that you can multiply, but I want you to see it in black and white how tremendous the hundredfold return is. In short, Mark 10.30 is a good deal, Gloria Copeland says. Here's my question. If this hundredfold principle actually worked, then these teachers would never again have to ask for money. Instead, they would be giving it away as fast as they could to meet the many needs of the world's inhabitants. And that brings me to the last point that I want to draw to your attention, which is a common teaching amongst these faith teachers, and that pertains, uh, pertains to the area of faith. So we looked at health, we looked at wealth, and now faith. And I think this may be the most significant area of the three. Because according to these teachers, the degree of your health and the degree of your wealth is directly related to the strength and the amount of your faith. As I said, this collection of teachers is commonly referred to as the Word of Faith movement or the Faith movement. And I hate to keep picking on Kenneth Copeland, but he demonstrates the idea pretty clearly in one of his writings. He says this, God cannot do anything for you apart from or separate from your faith. Faith is the source of God's power. You didn't know that, did you? That you controlled God. According to Copeland, you do. Faith movement teachers instruct, essentially instruct this. Have faith in your faith. And again, in my estimation, this is the most serious flaw of this entire movement. The basic idea is this. Your faith is a force that you can use for good or for bad in your life and in the life of others. They refer to this as the formula of faith, which again can be used for good or bad in your life. And according to these teachers, your faith is powerful and your words are a conduit of that power. This is how Joyce Meyer explains it. She says words are containers for power. They carry creative or destructive power, positive or negative power. And so we need to be speaking right things over our lives and about our futures if we expect to have good things happen. Because what you say today is what you will probably end up having tomorrow. Joel Osteen, he described it this way. He said, I want to speak to you today about the importance of speaking faith-filled words over your life. Words are like seeds. They have creative power. When we speak something out, we give life to what we were saying. It's just like we're planting that seed. And if we say it long enough, eventually we're going to reap 
a harvest. The process, according to these teachers, it's actually quite simple. Again, we call it the formula of faith. Say it, do it, and receive it. In fact, many of these teachers, they've begun to instruct their followers things like this. Stop asking Jesus. This is what they say. Stop asking Jesus for the things you want or need and instead claim them as your own. One teacher, Kenneth Hagin, who is sort of like the, they call him the father of this movement. He lived about 30 years prior to a lot of the guys that are out today. One of these teachers, Kenneth Hagin, who sadly got sick and died of cancer a couple of years back. They had to hide the whole thing because you're not supposed to get sick, particularly not if you're the, the lead thing. So the guy hid his symptoms for years, wouldn't tell anybody, because to acknowledge his symptoms would be a negative talk, and you, you can't have negative talk. So the poor guy probably could have been healed of his cancer. But he ignored the symptoms for however long he did, and then when he did finally get sick and had to go in the hospital, they had to keep the whole thing hush-hush. But he said this. He said that Jesus appeared to him and told him. Now remember, if what you the prophet is saying disagrees with the word of God, we go with the word of God. But they'll say things like, now I know what the Bible says, but Jesus appeared to me and told me this and showed me this. That's what Kenneth Hagin says. He said that Jesus, when he appeared to him, it, the story goes on, they, and he tells the story, that they chatted about all sorts of things, including current events and so on, and then finally said that Jesus said to Hagin, I wish people would understand that it's a waste of time for people to pray to me. People need to write their own ticket, he says. Frederick Price, I introduced him earlier, he said this, now this is a shocker, but God has to be given permission to work in this earth realm on behalf of man. Yes, you are in control. So if man has control, who no longer has it? God. When God gave dominion to Adam, that meant God no longer had dominion. So God cannot do anything in this earth unless we let him. And the way we let him or give him permission is through prayer. I think Frederick Price is right. That is a shocker. Because it completely redefines the Christian understanding of God as revealed in the pages of Scripture. In no way does the Bible even hint toward the idea that God is powerless outside of our faith. This formula of faith is not the biblical understanding of faith as given to us in the pages of Scripture, which consists of knowledge, agreement, and trust, not a power that is released by our words for good or for evil. The faith teacher will exhort you to have faith in your faith, despite the fact that the clear teaching of Scripture is to have faith in our God. We're not called to have faith in faith. We're called to have faith in God. The faith movement would have us to believe that everything that happens to us is a direct result of our faith and the words which we release, which release our faith. So if only we could learn the right formula, as Hagen said Jesus told him, we would be able to write our own ticket. So what's been your experience? What's been the experience of millions of people that have been swept up into this movement? Are these things true? Absolutely not. And as people come to discover in the movement that they are not, then the accusation is leveled against them that if they only had a bit more faith. If you only had a bit more faith, you wouldn't be experiencing these financial difficulties. If you only had more faith, you wouldn't be experiencing these health maladies. 
If you only had more faith, your loved one wouldn't have died. And there is the poor soul earnestly trusting God for a healing, believing now that they are doing ev- and believing that they are doing everything that they have been instructing to do, and the healing doesn't come. And where does that leave them? Well, what the faith teacher will tell you and them is that their faith has failed. What that person's more likely inclined to believe is that God has failed. In fact, what countless victims of this movement have concluded as they've come out of this movement is that the whole Christian faith, quote-unquote, is a sham. And that God Himself is a sham. And the result is the abandoning of the faith as being nothing more than a farce. And that's tragic. And I would suggest to you that's the very reason that the Lord Jesus and each of His apostles were so strong in their warnings against false prophets and false teachings and false spirits, even to the point of naming names, because the faith must be guarded and the flock must be protected. Now, I haven't named every false teacher and every false teaching that is out there these days. I made no mention of the idea of generational curses that is so prevalent in this movement. I made no mention of the teachings that Christians can be demon-possessed, And that the sin that is manifested in our life is most likely attributed to a demon, the demon of lust, the demon of infidelity, the demon of thievery, as opposed to our own flesh acting out in ways that it shouldn't. I made no mention of the increasing tendency to deify man and to demote Jesus from a deity. And we don't have time to dissect every one of these teachers and every one of their teachings. And the reality is this. When these teachers fade from popularity, it's more likely a new teacher is going to rise up and take their place. Similarly, when these teachings get old and stale, a new idea or a new principle or a new formula is going to rise up and take, take its place. So what are we to do then and how are we to be protected? We, be, we protect ourselves, as I said earlier, by becoming an expert in the truth. Know the truth so well that when a lie is presented, you will instantly be able to recognize it. Now, you may not be able to articulate exactly what is wrong with the teaching or the teacher, but as Pastor Joe Foch says, your baloney meter goes off, notifying you to be on your guard. Become an expert in the truth. If you don't feel you have time to become an expert in the truth, then stay away from those teachers altogether. I told you I turn them on every now and again just to make myself angry or or whatever. I don't know why I do it, but I'm intrigued, and I I turn it on and I watch a little bit. You know, and I spent the week reading at these guys, considering these guys, and here's an interesting experience. I I came into contact with a fellow this this week, and he said to me something about, I think I'm, I'm getting a cold, he said. First thought that came into my mind is, you don't want to say that out loud because you're bringing that negativity on your life. You see how easy it is for this lie to get into our lives? And so either stay away from it altogether, or if you're going to get into it, I know a guy, he studies the cults. That's his ministry. He points out all the cults. He points out a lot of these guys here. And he said, if I take an hour reading through the Book of Mormon, I take two hours reading through the Bible. He said, just to counteract all those lies that have been entering into my heart and into my mind. And I would encourage you, 
be on your guard, beware, become so familiar with the truth that when the lie presents itself, you'll instantly be able to know it. Study these things for yourself. You don't have to believe me. Some of you are like, I don't like you. That's fine. I like you, but you don't have to like me. But study these things for yourself. See if these things are so. Dig into the Word of God. And again, as Paul said, be a Berean, searching the Scriptures to see if these things are so. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank You for the Word. We didn't have a lot of time, Lord, to look at Your precious Word. And there's a part of us that just feels like, Lord, how sad, how grievous. We didn't get to dig into God's Holy Word. But Lord, there was a place and a time for what we did today. And Lord, You exhort us in Your Word to be aware and to pay careful attention calling them even ravenous wolves, making their way into the church, looking to lead astray the people of God. And, and Father, we want to be on our guard, not even just for ourselves, but for those we love and we care about, those around us that may be swept up into some of these things. Father, help us to be able to discern the truth from the lies and to be able to speak into people's lives truth. Lord, that we might present the spotless lamb that went to a cross, paid the price in full there on that cross, was dead and buried and rose again in fulfillment of the Scriptures, Lord, fulfillment of His own testimony and prophecy. And Lord, demonstrating that His gift of His life was accepted in the heavenlies. Father, we love you and we want to keep our eyes firmly fixed on you, running this race well. Help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel of Mercer County. If you would like more information about the church, its ministries, its worship services, or its small groups, please visit ccmercer.com or download the church app to your phone.